Chelsea Fairless. It's <laughs> the most optimistic you've ever sounded saying your own name, Chelsea. Welcome to a new episode of the Every Outfit Podcast. Today we're talking about the iconic <laughs> episode, Boy Interrupted. Yeah, it's going to be cute. But before we get into the episode, we have to discuss the Sex in the City news of the week, of which there's a lot. What do you want to start with, Kim or Sarah Jessica? <sighs> The eternal question. Let's start with Sarah Jessica. Let's be real. She's a little higher on the totem pole. Ooh. Well, our Sunday morning was rocked when uh, we discovered that Sarah Jessica Parker's December Vogue cover was already online. Yeah, it leaked late Saturday night, and then Vogue had no choice but to release it on Sunday, which, yeah, not a day that I would uh, put out your big December cover, but what can you do? You know, it's the internet. They're like, sorry, Adele, we gave you a few weeks. (laughs) So this is the first time that Sarah Jessica Parker has covered the magazine in a decade. Can you believe that? But in the last time was when Sex and the City 2 came out, right? Well, it's interesting. She'll have these weird, like, almost double covers. Like, the first time she appeared was in 2002, after not appearing on Vogue for the first four years of Sex and the City, which is kind of crazy. That's weird. And then she had another cover in 2003, and then she had a cover in 2010 when the second film came out, and then she was on an age issue in 2011, and that was the last time. So this is her seventh cover or her sixth cover? Seventh. Seventh cover. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that she wasn't on for the first four years of Sex in the City. So Vogue is, like, not an early adopter, but when they finally... Like, it was the same way with the Kardashians, right? But once they anoint you, they won't stop putting exactly. you on the cover. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what this is. So SJP was photographed by Dan Jackson, styled by Tabitha Simmons. It is just a very classical Vogue cover shoot in studio. And it really does feel like a return to their pre-pandemic self. Because like in the last couple of years, we've seen like them working with a lot of new photographers. They've put Harry Styles on the cover. They've put paintings on the cover. And this shoot feels very old Vogue. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way necessarily. I think she looks fab. I think Tabitha Simmons is a great stylist, and I feel like there's been more excitement about this cover than I've seen in an American Vogue cover in a while. Or maybe that's just because our corner of the internet is all about this, but you know. That's very true. It seems like that. Well, since you saw the cover dress in person, because she's wearing (laughs) Dolce Gabbana Altimoda in Venice, how how does it stack up? I can't say that I remembered this specific gown from the runway, but it's not surprising that she's wearing Dolce & Gabbana because despite their controversies, Anna Wintour has obviously always been really supportive of them. Sarah Jessica Parker has been dressed by them for the Met Gala, and Tabitha Simmons has like been in their shows, worn them to the Met Gala like a million times. Like She's like ride-or-die Dolce fam. So it's not really surprising that this particular group of people made this choice yeah I did see people on the internet being pretty apoplectic about this choice but I also noticed seemingly in the December issue there's going to be a profile about John Galliano so it seems to be an issue of just like OG problematic faves which I'm looking forward to totally 
Yeah, I mean, I liked the Christopher John Rogers look the most because to me it felt very Carrie and very fun and colorful and sort of like what differentiates Sarah Jessica Parker from your average Vogue cover girl. You know what I mean? Like, of course she can do that like classical glamour thing. And this this Vogue cover does feel like a very old school Cecil Beatney just, you know, yeah. gown pick. It seems like looking at the editorial itself, some of these outfits are more Carrie than the Carrie and, and just like that. Yeah, I mean, there it's definitely there's some wacky looks. There's some major hats. But I thought it looked cool. And I noticed a pair of uh, SJP collection shoes found their way in the editorial. (laughs) Of course. Love her hustle. Did you read the article itself? Yeah, of course. The profile was great, written by Nomi Fry, who we love. She actually reached out to us for quotes for this article that were savagely cut. And I couldn't help but imagine Candace Bergen with her big red pen. Candace Bergen as Enid, I should just say. Yeah, we're imagining Nomi in the Vogue offices and just, you know, some editor is like... uh, Uh, Lauren and Chelsea, they're not Vogue. (laughs) So not Vogue. But we were very flattered that she asked us to weigh in on this. And we're ready to give quotes at any time for anyone (laughs) and anything, really. So I thought the the most interesting piece that I took away from the article is that Sarah Jessica's own Carrie Bradshaw archive, because she claims that she has basically every piece of furniture, clothes, packed according to season and episode in storage. Yeah, I'm not surprised that she saved the clothes, but the furniture? That is another level. So that means Eden's chair is somewhere in a Manhattan storage unit down by the West Side Highway. Exactly. Maybe she could answer our question from last week of does this stuff still smell like Carrie's smoke? (laughs) Because she has the fur jacket. But she was smoking fake cigarettes. Or was she? I don't know. It was a great profile, but there wasn't a ton of bombshells because SJP didn't give anything away about the plot of the show. And she also wasn't going to say anything that would be taken out of context and turned into clickbait for the Daily Mail, basically. Like, she's a seasoned pro. She knows how to avoid that. However, Daily Mail is always up to the challenge to make clickbait where there is no clickbait. Exactly. And the one thing that did get reported on a lot were her comments about aging, where she basically expressed her frustration at being judged and criticized simply for aging or for, you know, conversely for putting effort into her appearance and all of that and how basically women can't win. You know, she said that Andy Cohen can have gray hair and no one says shit, except for obviously she did not say it in these uh, in, in these crude terms. Another thing we learned from this profile was that she doesn't swear. But basically, that's what went viral. It does feel in line with Carrie. I mean, you never saw Carrie getting her hair done necessarily, that she would let herself go gray. Right. Well, I mean, we saw her getting her hair done in Sex in the City, the movie. Well, when she dyed her hair brown. True. Yeah, true. Exactly. She only gets her hair done when there are traumatic Vogue covers. Yeah, she says, on social media, everyone has something to say. Like, she has too many wrinkles. She doesn't have enough wrinkles. I'm like, oh, no, has she been reading the comment section of our Instagram account? (laughs) Which is, like, objectively terrible sometimes. And I do feel bad at times because I don't want them reading all this shit. You know, she's right. Everyone is very quick to judge. I remember back when the show was happening, there were these shock jocks, Opie and Anthony, and I think it's still on YouTube. They were talking shit about Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm sorry, talking crap. I don't want (laughs) to curse. And equating her appearance to that of a horse, 
What they didn't know at the time was Sarah Jessica Parker's driver was playing Opie and Anthony. She heard it and she called in and they clammed up so fast. Oh, She yeah. was like, what did you say? And they were like, no, no I'm nothing. They immediately took it back. Yeah, they're little bitches. We should drop a clip of that in there. Sarah Jessica Parker. Hey. Hey. Who's this? You're not Sarah Opie Jessica and Anthony. Parker. Oh, these are the fellas that were just... Uh trashing me are these the guys sarah jessica i gotta say your performance on the mtv movie awards fantastic <laughs> i thought you did a great job i loved the costume changes especially you're, the one at the end you're such a puss Ant. what it's sarah jessica parker you don't have the balls to actually say to me what you said to your maybe limited audience come on buddy that made me love sjp it also makes me feel for her because I do feel like it's hard enough being an average person in this world, but when your appearance is constantly under a microscope, I can't imagine how traumatic that would be over the course of one's life, you know? And for a quote-unquote celebrity and certainly someone that's been in the public eye like she has consistently for 30, maybe even 40 years at this point, I think she's pretty grounded. She seems to be. I mean, she's like making the beds on the set of Sex in the City, which we also learned from this profile. Yeah, that got into a little Joan Crawford mommy dearest <laughs> territory, but I, I think it's fine. Yeah, I also thought was what was interesting is when she talked about the origin of this latest series, which we knew started with her and Michael Patrick King talking about maybe doing a podcast about the behind the scenes stuff. And then they got into what they were missing during the pandemic, right? She says, joy, community, the experience of being together. The world of Carrie and her friends has always been about coming home. And I felt like we needed that right now, which is like, yes, yes, <laughs> totally. Well, the only thing also that does give us any sort of hints about the content of the show itself is the part in the profile where Nomi asks her, like, why are we still in Carrie's apartment? Like, doesn't she have another house? Like, why are we back here? And Sarah Jessica Parker says one of the questions that's going to come up in and just like that will be, what is it about a place like this that you need to hold on to for all these years? Why can't you just let it go? Yet another Gen Xer who won't move on and allow millennials to continue their upward mobility. That's why we're down here, Chelsea. <laughs> so why can't she let it go? Because it's a great fucking apartment. Why couldn't she get a new apartment when her building went co-op and she couldn't afford it? What, is she going to move to Williamsburg in 2004? I think not. It's true. In other Sex in the City news, Kim Cattrall is booked and busy. I know. First, it came out that she will be the older Hillary Duff in How I Met Your Father, which I had to explain the whole premise of the show to Chelsea. I've never seen it. How I Met Your Mother, they had Bob Saget do the voice of the older Josh Radner character who starts every episode. He's like, hey, kids, this is How I Met Your Mother. This is a dream job. She just goes into a recording booth like once a month and records a bunch of dialogue and they just hand her a big bag of money. She's like, hey, kids. Sorry, I can't do a good Kim Cattrall Oh, voice. yeah, do you think Hillary Duff is going to match her voice to Kim Cattrall? <laughs> this is how I met your father. And in other casting news that's more exciting to me, she has also been cast in the Queers Folk reboot that's happening, I assume, on Showtime. No, it's Peacock, which is so insulting. Okay, that's weird. So Queer as Folk, it was a British show, and yeah. then they did an American version. And the American version ran on Showtime during the same time as Sex and the City. Yeah. 
I love that she Kim Cattrall's joining like the reboots from just like other shows of the time period, but just like not the one that uh, we, we want to see. Her not in. the one that we want to see her in. According to the internet, she will be playing a martini-soaked high society southern debutante with trailer park roots, which sounds like perfect. Yeah, love that. Shall we move on to Boy Interrupted? Sure, let's do it. So this episode, as we've said, is Boy Interrupted. It was written by Cindy Schupek, who's one of the original OG writers. It was directed by Tim Van Patten, who won a Director's Guild Award for this episode. I did listen to the Michael Patrick King commentary. And yeah, we're almost at the end of the first part of season six. And up until now, it's been a real rough one for Carrie, right? She had that like terrible first date in the first episode, you know, market to market with like the guy that gets a, there's a sty in his eye and like a bird attacks him. Right, right. She runs into Aiden. She dates Burger. We all know how that went. She has jackrabbit sex with Harry's best man. Mm-hmm. Then she gets her shoes stolen. That's the episode previous to this one. So um, am I the only person that refuses to accept? Like, I don't like that it's season 6A and 6B. To me, it's just season six. At what point did they do this? You know what I mean? Because when it came out, it wasn't like, that's the end of season 6A. Well, there was no like clear distinction. I mean, I'm sure there was like, yes, there a, was a, a break of months went by without yeah. new episodes. Starting in season three, they started breaking up the seasons where they would like do a host of episodes in, in the summer and then in the fall. Right. They need to bring that back. So this episode opens with Carrie on a date with Jeremy, played by David Duchovny. I would say one of Carrie's most famous boyfriends at the time that the show was filmed Maybe him in like Bon Jovi or something. Oh, you mean the actor himself? I mean the actor. Right. And Michael Patrick King said that they wanted to get like one more boyfriend in before they brought in Petrovsky, which is going to happen, I think, in the next episode, the episode after that. And they wanted someone famous enough that the audience would be like, oh, okay, that's Carrie's person. Because why else would they bring in David Duchovny for only one episode? Right. They were trying to psych us out. So Carrie and Jeremy have a nice but boring date, in my estimation, that ultimately culminates with him kissing her outside of her apartment. Very sweet. I've always wondered about Carrie's naivete with sexuality as a 38-year-old woman. Like, surely you could fuck him. I mean, they've already dated, right? We should mention that this is her high school boyfriend who is uh, visiting New York, Yes, but he has to get back to Connecticut and we'll learn what, why he's in Connecticut in a little bit. Yeah. So we know that the show exists in this sort of permanent spring summer, but I think this is the f- one of the only times we see it that like gross August part of New York where you just want to be anywhere but outside. Totally. We see Samantha walking down the street in the meatpacking district and she runs into Jerry Hollowell who, from the Spice Girls ginger spice who's not playing herself not playing herself i don't think i mean they don't really give her a name like we don't really know i think they say her name it's definitely not jerry i remember clocking that which so then you think like oh okay she's gonna come back but she doesn't no she's just like hello samantha i've just been to the pool at the soho house sorry that's like the worst accent ever but that's how it sounds like to me And she's wearing like a bikini top and some sort of harrowing dip-dyed rah-rah skirt that was just like very, epitomizes what every trashy celebrity was wearing in 2001. I do have to comment on Samantha's outfit, which is she's wearing low-rise jeans, which is like, Samantha, you're doing yourself no favors. (laughs) Have you heard of a linen? (laughs) 
So the tea about the Soho house at the time was they came up with this episode in the writer's room and were like, oh, great. You know, we want to relate it all back to high school. And they were thinking about who Samantha would have been in high school. And they were like, oh, she's the girl that would jump a fence to get into a pool. And then they were like, well, where is there a pool in New York? And they were building the meatpacking district Soho house at the time. And they were like, great, can we shoot at your pool? And they were like, of course, but we're not going to be done in time. And, they were, and Michael Patrick King was like, we need it at this date. And they finished it three weeks early just so that it could be in the episode. That's cool. Yeah. Well, wait, wasn't there another episode where Samantha said, like, I once blew a guy because his parents had a pool? Yeah, she's very pool like, centric. What, what, what is this bitch's obsession with? Oh, I'm not saying bitch. We're not swearing on this episode. This is an SJP approved episode. What is her obsession with pools? Well, it's funny because the next scene is the all the girls at brunch together. And the Carrie question of the week is when it comes to matters of the heart, did we have it right in high school? Which they've already done a kind of middle school, high school based episode with Hot Child in the City. That's where Samantha saying she fucked a guy because he once had a nice pool comes from. Right. So it's weird that they're kind of recycling they're, yeah, this concept They're recycling again. the theme. Well, when it comes to matters of the heart, Lauren, did you have it right in high school? No, but I don't have it right now either, so... I mean, I definitely didn't have it right in high school. I don't know who did. I guess people that married their high school sweethearts. I was going to say the people that peaked in, in high school. Well, Carrie is correct. I mean, it is a very disturbing idea that you could have left the person you were with in high school and then come back 20 years later and been like, oh no, that was my person. <laughs> what was all the rest of this for then? It is disturbing. You're right. So in the next scene, Samantha has returned to the Soho house to try and get a membership. She's got to get to that pool. She uses the restroom and she finds an abandoned membership card belonging to none other than Annabelle Bronstein. The legend. <laughs> the legend, even though we have no idea who this chick is. I do like the idea that Samantha probably fucked the wrong person and that's why she can't get into the Soho house because we're led to believe that she's one of the biggest PR people in New York, if not America. So she did something. I don't know. I mean, but it was still like at that point, the Soho house hadn't expanded. Like the more locations you have, the more members you can have. Maybe she didn't get on get in on the ground floor. So she steals the card, which honestly, who wouldn't do this? She makes the move where she's using Annabelle Bronstein's card, but she does have a moral code because she's like, I'll just pay for the drinks with cash. I think she makes enough money to not have to like stiff randos for uh, her cocktails. I just like that she had a code. There was a line. She's like, I'm going to use this stranger's card and could be caught at any moment, but... I can pay for my own $17 Cosmo. Speaking of which, if anyone wants to um, donate a master key to the London Hotel to me, I would greatly appreciate that because that is my own version of the Soho house <laughs> because it's in my neighborhood, rooftop pool. And while my apartment building also has a pool, it just doesn't have like cocktails. You should explain that you need a card even to access the pool. Like there's a glass door that keeps you from the pool. Like you can get to the roof. Yeah. But you're not getting that pool. Yeah. In a lot of hotels, you can get to the pool and like do this, but not that one. Yeah. Because at the Pendry, you don't even need to like swipe a card if you're going to the roof. Oh, at the Hollywood Roosevelt, you can just like use the pool straight up. No one says shit to you. Just hot tip. Yeah. Hot tips for those who live in Los Angeles and for those who don't live in Los Angeles. <laughs> so the next scene is at Cafeteria, which is that still in New York? 
I think so. It has to be, right? That is a Chelsea brunch mainstay where you see Stanford and Marcus, one of the few Marcus appearances we get in season six. Yeah. Having brunch, and then they see Anthony and Charlotte also having brunch, and Stanford can't help himself but to bring Marcus over to show him off. Of course, I'm so happy for Stanford in this moment because Anthony is just such a bitchy, toxic person and it must be incredibly satisfying to flaunt a hot boyfriend in his face. Well, this is also one of those scenes where you're like, how could Anthony and Stanford ever get married? Because Stanford reveals that they're going to the LGBTQ prom. Yeah, they're like, it's it's a benefit for the center. You know, I'm on the decorating committee. And he's like, I never went to prom. And Anthony's like, because you were gay. (laughs) And then he's like, what's the theme of the prom? Queer and queer, which is like, God, he's fucking rude. I mean, Anthony clearly has a lot of internalized homophobia and not like the fun kind. Well, after Stanford and Marcus leave, Anthony reveals that Marcus was a gay escort. And I just want to get into what Anthony's visual recall is, because he says that he remembers seeing Marcus's ad from an old issue of Honcho, which Stanford later establishes in a separate scene that Marcus has not escorted since 1992. (laughs) So how is he remembering this? I have no idea. Well, you know... I respect the fact that gay men hold on to their magazines. As a magazine enthusiast. As a magazine collector, it's what makes antique shopping in Palm Springs so fun because you never know when you're going to find like 500 issues of After Dark. Or he has a photographic memory. That would be an interesting uh, plot line for him. Well, you would never because you have face blindness, (laughs) especially with men. No. You know what, though? There's some films and fat, like there's pop culture stuff that sticks with me in a way that actual people don't. So it's kind of um, it's kind of a mixed bag. Do you agree with Anthony that Paul is the worst hustler name ever? It is pretty bad. Yeah, I think so. I would like to think that Marcus's actual name is Paul and he wasn't savvy enough to not use his real name. And actually, Marcus mm-hmm. is the pseudonym. <laughs> So in the next scene, Charlotte and Miranda are at a Knicks game because Miranda's hot neighbor, Robert, has offered them courtside seats. Well, because he's a doctor for the Knicks. Because he's the Knicks doctor. There aren't that many instances of Charlotte and Miranda hanging out one-on-one, right? That aren't related to having children, no. It's true, because there was the scene where she came over to Miranda's place and like tried to childproof it. I mean, I don't know if we can really count the scene where Charlotte has just gone to the fertility doctor and Miranda is like walking 10 steps behind her. You're going to make me cry. That, honestly, <laughs> that's one of the most touching moments from the series where Miranda just follows Charlotte. I'm making it sound creepy. It's not creepy. Miranda's like, it follows for, <laughs> for Charlotte. With fertility, yeah. <laughs> I guess Carrie and Samantha were busy, although it seems like Samantha would want to go to the Knicks game. All the hot basketball players all come Miranda. I bet Miranda was like, um, I actually will take Charlotte. Don't worry. So there's some cheerleaders, I guess it's halftime or something, that are doing a very sexy uh, dance routine to Proud Mary. Because we're back in high school, so Miranda is, of course, the awkward person that has a crush. And, of course, her crush... She sees likes a cheerleader. Or is just talking to a cheerleader. Miranda, like myself, has an anxious attachment style and is like, well, I guess he doesn't fucking like me then. I guess I'll just, I'll just fucking fuck off. Bye. Oh, I've already, I guess I will screw off. We're not cursing in this episode. <laughs> now we're back at Carrie's apartment. She's making out with Jeremy. 
looks like things are headed in a really fab direction until he lets it slip that he is living in a mental institution. But come on, it's like Canyon Ranch. It's not that. <laughs> he tries to pitch it as, as something else. Yeah. Is that a mood killer? Should she have had sex with him? It's a big mood killer. I mean, but it's setting the stage for a really well-crafted joke, which she delivers at the top of the next scene when the squad is hanging out by the pool at the Soho house, which is when she says, I wanted a man who could commit, not a man that was committed. Excellent pun. Uh, I did notice that Carrie has brought back her favorite like beach pool silhouette, which is a bikini top with seemingly like a man's cargo short or pants. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Samantha looks like she's a tuna caught in some sort of glamorous <laughs> fishing net. Did you notice that she's reading that W Magazine issue where it's like a wet Travis Fimmel and Giselle Bündchen on the cover? (laughs) I did not notice that. Well, according to the IMDb Tribune, the model Travis Fimmel, who is on the cover of the magazine she's reading, was the inspiration for Smith Jared. Oh, love that. Not Jason Lewis, who was literally a model. (laughs) No. (laughs) This is one of those really rare scenes where they invited Stanford to go to the pool with them. I feel like he was already with Carrie and she was like, we're going to the Soho house. He was like, oh, okay, I get it. She's like, uh, just come along. How many guests do you get at the Soho house? (laughs) Charlotte reveals to the girls that Marcus is a male escort or was a male escort. How do you feel about Anthony seemingly ripping out that page from his old honcho magazine (laughs) as a magazine collector? (laughs) Basically, like, porn magazines are worth nothing, so who cares? Okay. It's like a real dick move of him, you know? He's a vindictive little bitch for doing this. Although, I mean, what is Charlotte doing revealing this in front of Stanford, basically? What did she think was going to happen? I get it. We need it for the story, but come on. No, it's, it's really rude. They're all whispering about it, and Stanford's like, what are you guys talking about? So he obviously finds out. And also, it's like Stanford seems like the kind of guy that like hung out with a clique of like really mean straight girls in high school that treated him like shit he probably got full ptsd just from the way that this was revealed to him i thought it was a great willie garson acting moment because he asked for it several times and then he sort of pauses and he's like i'm not kidding guys give it to me yeah my memory of this episode, I thought the Soho House storyline just was all throughout the episode. It really is just like she finds the card, they have this pool scene, and she has quickly found out that she is not the Annabelle Bronstein. Yeah, someone from the hotel comes up to her and calls her out. She uh, puts on a very unconvincing British accent. Which is my other favorite line, maybe from this entire season, when Miranda goes, what's happening? And Carrie goes, she's got a case of the Madonnas. <laughs> this is the height of Madonna marrying Guy Ritchie and living in England and adopting a bizarre British accent. Well, my favorite line is when she was like, I was raised in India. <laughs> so the, the irony is, before people slide into our DMs and remind us of this, we are aware that Kim Cattrall was born in the UK and actually does a very good English accent. She is purposely doing a bad one. Yet another on the long list of embarrassing things that she's been made to do on Sex in the City. So now Miranda's collecting her mail and runs into Robert, where he confesses to her that he actually does have a crush on her. They make out in front of a neighbor, which uh, violates a rule from our book, We Should All Be Miranda's, where we tell the reader that they shouldn't fuck someone that lives in their building because it can only end badly. Classic New York mistake. And then they fucked to Proud Mary. A nice callback to the cheerleading scene. I love this for Miranda. 
Robert is hot. Seems like a good arrangement. He's a hot doctor. Yeah, and I've noticed they love to put Miranda on top in sex scenes. They do. Have we ever seen Miranda on the bottom? I guess they just want us to know that she's such a boss bitch. You know what I mean? She's she like, just tops everyone. She's running the shit in the in the boardroom, in the bedroom. In Brady's room. <laughs> Carrie, only one time we see her having sex on top. Yeah, it's, maybe it's not her position, I guess. In the next scene, Jeremy shows up at Carrie's house with a bag of marbles. Do you get it, Chelsea? Do you get it? <laughs> and he's like, gives them to her and he's like, here's some fucking marbles. Here's some freaking marbles in case uh, I lose mine, which is funny in a pre-Amazon Prime world. But the knowledge that this man had to like go to FAO Schwartz or some shit, some stuff to buy marbles is just like really dark and unfunny. Again, this is another example that if this weren't set in the Sex of the City world, this would be the beginning of a Dirty John season. It's so true. Like, is Carrie attracted to walking red flags? <laughs> this is his justification. He goes, I could spend five years in therapy or spend a month in this intensive asylum. Just like, that's not how that works. Yeah, exactly. Therapy is not, this is not like the equivalent of doing like a 30-day juice fast or something. But of course, they have to have sex. Which we don't really get to see. Yeah, because David Duchovny was saving all his sex scenes for a few years from now when he did Californication <laughs> with Harry. Evan Handler is his best friend in that show. You know, I didn't, I didn't watch Californication because I just don't like to watch David Duchovny fuck people. You know, it's how I felt <laughs> at the time. I still feel that way. So you're glad there wasn't a sex scene. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually need it. So Stanford comes over because he's got to talk to Carrie about the fact that his now ex-boyfriend was an escort. And I really feel like this is an Anthony thing because I feel like if he found out that Marcus was an escort from anyone else, like I think that Stanford is more hurt that it came from Anthony than... Oh, totally. It does seem like an unfair reaction on Stanford's part. Right. Because it is so long ago. It's not like he's a secret sex worker while they're together or something, you know. And obviously, given the level of judgment Stanford is laying upon him, it's like, why would he fucking tell him? Freaking tell him. And why isn't Stanford or anyone being like, hey, is it weird that Anthony in his spare time just reads Honcho magazine <laughs> from 1992? Yeah, we need to talk about the elephant in the room here. <laughs> I also love that Stanford is wearing some sort of like floral Paul Smith type shirt and just like enveloped in a cloud of cigarette smoke. Well, they're the last two smoking people, or I guess the la he's the last one because Carrie at this point has stopped smoking. But anyway, Stanford asks her, he's like, now that I dump my escort boyfriend, will you come to gay prom with me? To which she says, I have to visit my boyfriend at the asylum, which of course Stanford thinks is a joke because it's Carrie. But guess what? Sometimes Carrie means it. So she goes to the asylum. Is that a politically incorrect term for a mental institution? Should we be saying like psychiatric facility or something? Well, we've already almost been canceled about this once. So a while back, we did a post about the outfit that Carrie wears to the psych ward. And 
A lot of people thought it was really, really problematic. I'll read the caption now and let you guys be the judge. We love to see Carrie bring her signature brand of romanticism all the way to the mental institution. This lace-trimmed 1920s-inspired dress is an ideal choice for a casual afternoon picnic, but is it too sexy for the psych ward? I don't know why I'm doing this voice. You can't blame her for wanting to look hot for her new beau. After all, the insane are notoriously good in bed. We are slightly triggered by the continuity issues with that lariat necklace, though. Here's what always gets us in trouble is sentences that are transitional sentences. Because really the point of the post, I remember you wrote this one, is you've always been annoyed of how that necklace keeps moving throughout the scene. Right. It is very distracting, the amount that it moves during during the picnic scene with David Duchovny. But the thing that people were mad about is the sentence where we say that people... The insane are notoriously good in bed, which a lot of people felt was very problematic and ableist. But I thought that ableism was the belief that disabled people were inferior to able-bodied people. Like, I'm saying that in this particular arena, they're superior. Isn't that, like, literally a compliment? Well, I think you can't use the phrase mental institution and attempt to be funny I think a lot of people take it a certain way but right you also can't say like the insane I guess as a catch-all term you know saying the insane are as good or as bad as anyone else in bed doesn't really have the same (laughs) ring to it that's true so a lot of people commented on this a lot of people like dragged the fuck out of us for some reason this then got like picked up by press and there was a cosmopolitan article titled uh sex in the city fans aren't happy with a major fan account's mental health post (laughs) and then that sort of got syndicated by other uh by other news outlets by the way if we chose to do this post on like mental health awareness day fair enough (laughs) fair enough for these comments actually that would be way funnier and more timely (laughs) Look, I stand by the statement, anyone that's had sex with a crazy person knows that they're fabulous in bed. And, you know, my intention was not to hurt people with mental health issues. I've always struggled with mental health stuff so I can empathize. But at the same time, I think that having a sense of humor is a really, really crucial coping mechanism in this world, or at least it is for me. No, Chelsea, do better, okay? (laughs) Do better. I don't think all the do better quotes for were from people that were actually institutionalized, although I do like this one uh, comment that someone left. As someone who's been institutionalized, I don't have any idea what anyone is upset about LMAO. <laughs> is now the time to bring up the fact that the man who seems to have mental issues in this scene is showrunner Michael Patrick King, who screams feces. Yes, the, the man that screams feces is MPK. And I never understand why we get dragged. We didn't create this show. Well, also, it's like, okay, so you're enough of a fan of a quote-unquote problematic show, enough to follow fan accounts of it on Instagram, yet you're policing my language? Whatever. Speaking of problematic faves, I mean, I can relate to Carrie trying to justify, is it worth seeing Jeremy? He's like, come on, this isn't so bad. Look. But then he's like, well, actually, I'm going to be here for eight to 10 months. And that's just that's too much for Carrie, obviously. That's like that's a lifestyle. You're not just visiting that like that's your home. Well, in listening to the commentary track with Michael Patrick King, he says that they were going to bring David Duchovny back right before she goes to Paris. Like when she's going to be packing, he was going to knock on the door. She was going to open it. And he was going to be like, I'm better. 
And she's like, I'm going to Paris with someone else. And he would just be like, six months of white, li- of white light. What was it all for? And just walk away. And he was like, ah, it felt like too much. But it's, I would have taken that. Yeah. Give me that deleted scene. <laughs> so they kind of like mutually agree to break up, right? And she's like, it was the sanest breakup I've ever had. Well, yeah, well, he can't get out. He's at the institution. Yeah. Although he, I guess, is there voluntarily and can sign himself out at any yeah, point. Yeah, I'm sure he can get out. He's not like, he wasn't involuntarily committed. He wouldn't be able to leave. What do we think is wrong with Jeremy? Because I get the feeling that in Denver, like during a conference or something, he just had a psychotic break i think he's just one of those people that you know is working like 18 hour days every day also while like coping with like a adderall addiction potentially and like a you know going through a divorce and i like to think he's just this character from californication which is at a certain point turned out to be david duchovny just a raging (laughs) sex addict and then the final scene gay prom (laughs) Gay prom, so Lady Bunny is hosting gay prom, which adds a real legitimacy to this sequence. One thing about Sex in the City that I would have liked to see is more cameos from just kind of like iconic New York people. Like we got a few of them here and there. Like we got like Isaac Mizrahi at at Carrie's book party, for example. But I feel like we could have used some more some more cameos, you know? Like a Michael Musto? Yeah, exactly. Like where was he? Maybe he's somewhere in the background. You don't know. Why does Carrie look so good in 1950s silhouettes? She really does. It's crazy. It's so the opposite of like this sort of like vintage clothes and silhouettes that I'm drawn to. So when I see someone pulling it off. Yeah, I'm very impressed. And it doesn't look like she's trying to do like a Dita Von Teese retro vibe either. No, it never feels overly kitschy. Uh, yeah, it never feels overly kitschy or like overly cosplay. She always does something to make it feel contemporary and unique. So Stanford and Carrie are the prom king and queen, which seems a little rude at the gay prom. (laughs) These fucking straight women coming into queer spaces, (laughs) making it their own. Yeah, and being the prom. It's like it's not a drag queen that's the (laughs) prom queen. What is this fucked up shit? However, I am happy that they did this because it allowed us. Last Halloween, we did a, a video where we cut. We did Carrie Carrie. So we used the footage from this scene and then cut it against Brian De Palma's Carrie. Yeah, it was really cute. So Stanford and Carrie are dancing and then... Marcus tries to cut in and Stanford rudely is like, no, thank you. I already have an escort. Oof. He just doesn't support sex workers, you know? Big tool for you, doesn't? <laughs> but ultimately, Marcus wears him down and uh, Carrie is left as a wallflower at the gay prom, as she should be. I think she should have given her tiara to Marcus, frankly. Yeah. So they officially reconcile, and that's where the episode ends, on a, on a sweet romantic note. This just strengthens the point. How did he and Anthony get married? Anthony's so mean to him in this episode. How could he forgive him? I know. I need the scene where, like, Marcus reads in the New York Times or whatever out magazine about Anthony and Stanford's wedding. Like, what is Marcus's reaction? Yeah, I mean, we did, we interviewed Michael Patrick King once, and we asked him to justify Stanford and Anthony's union. And he said that they were the last people left, which is dark, but it's also true. I mean, anyone that's single in their sort of mid-30s, 40s, there is a sense that, Everyone is coupling off and and the pickings are getting slim. 
Yeah, this seems to be a Michael Patrick King specific narrative because when we did Splat, they were like, well, we have to make it terrifying for Carrie, the idea that she would remain single. Final thoughts? Yeah, I en- I enjoyed this episode. I didn't remember the- that this was also the Annabelle Bronstein episode as well. Yeah, Annabelle Bronstein and Michael Patrick King screaming feces are the highlights for me. David Duchovny having sex with Carrie is a, is a-, a low <laughs> moment for you. <laughs> Well, I hope Jeremy comes back and in just like that. <laughs> oh, God. I guess anyone could. All right, guys. This was fun. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.